This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, football frolickers. It's the return of the Game Day Premier League preview podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, Alex Crook, and the assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, Darren Lewis. Four tops, Liverpool, City, Manchester United and Chelsea head the Champions League groups after week two of the soon-to-be-altered competition. Coming up, he can't help himself. Marcus Rashford, feeder of the nation, gets ready to take a bite out of Arsenal. Going loco, Barca president resigns and parried to the point as he accuses Minister of preferring ballet to ballers. Our main thrust is eight massive previews as Game Day brings you three big commentaries on Saturday and Sunday, including the champions at home to West Ham, Manchester City going to Sheffield United and Aston Villa welcoming the Saints. All that plus rivalry roulette on the podcast that delivers more for their wage than Ertzel and Aubameyang combined. This is the Game Day Preview Podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Alex smiling from ear to ear as United thrashed last year's semi-finalists. And that diamond in midfield got a lot of attention. But Rashford was the one that made it sparkle, wasn't he, Crook? Well, he is the real diamond, isn't he, Marcus Rashford? And I've got to say, it's fantastic to watch. He struggled a bit at the back end of last season, coming back from injury. Then there were suggestions, unfounded claims that maybe he was distracted by the fantastic work that he's doing off the pitch. But in the last two or three weeks, the real Marcus Rashford has stepped up to the plate. And you could argue, and I probably would argue, that he's in the form of his life right now. And um, you can tell he's he's loving every minute. And, and as you say, that was a real statement performance Obviously, after the 6-1 thrashing by Spurs, I was fairly critical of, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and, and his tactics. But you have to say the way that he and the team have responded to that defeat has been absolutely sensational, barring a pretty drab draw against Chelsea. And hopefully now they can follow up that European performance with a real star turn against Arsenal this weekend. Uh, Chelsea were pretty impressive too. I thought Mendy's now started four games and is yet to concede a goal. He radiates confidence. I mean, he's worth 25 million just for the fact that he's kept four clean sheets. Chelsea rarely have done that. Uh, Ziyech starting for the first time. Werner on the score sheet. But Pulisic was the one who really made the impact coming off the bench. He was outstanding after coming into the fray in the second half, Darren. Yeah, the biggest win for three years in front of Roman Abramovich. When you spend that much money, the owner wants to see where that money has gone. And he saw it um, in that performance because they were so clinically in front of the goal. They were dominant throughout. Pulisic I've loved ever since he set foot inside Stamford Bridge. He's got pace, he's got trickery, he's got a goal-scoring touch. And it's weird, actually, if Chelsea didn't have as many resources as they do have, Pulisic would be on the back pages every week. He's just such a good player. Um, Mendy is probably the most important aspect of the whole window. When he's in goal, Chelsea feel confident they are capable of anything. When he's not in goal, they could go out in the group stages. I think he and Silva are the key men for Chelsea and I think we'll be talking about them quite a lot this season. Uh, Premier League previews to come, uh, but let's just quickly assess the explosive resignation of the Barca president, who in his uh, speech as he decided to leave his post, he said, yeah, and I've signed us up for a European uh, Super League. (laughs) Mic drop and walked out. 
what what are the implications of this? I mean, Darren, there's been a lot of talk about um, the possibility of a European Super League, but is this no more than just posturing ahead of negotiations with UEFA about the restructuring of the Champions League? No, it's going to happen. It's just a question of when. They're talking about high-profile sponsors. I won't name them here on the show, um, but they are clearly having detailed conversations. And I think when there are this many smoke signals, you have to see what is being said to you. And it's very clear that when you look at the big clubs and the revenues they believe they can rake in, particularly with their American owners having an eye on the finance from the territories where they have huge numbers of subscribers, you realize that the domestic leagues don't hold the same appeal for them anymore. And we already know what even what the format's going to be, the year it's going to start. This is a drip feed of information about something that is coming sooner rather than later. Is this just fueled, though, by the jealousy of the big teams in Spain, Italy, Germany, of the Premier League and the product that has been generated by 20 English clubs over the course of the last 30 years? No, I think it's driven by money. I, I, you know, you look at the a, a club like Manchester United, 4.2 billion people, they know that they will be able to monetize in territories like the Far East. And, and I've been on pre-season with, with Liverpool, for example. I've seen the appetite, to, even for the most modest of games. I saw the Asia Trophy, they played West Brom a couple of years ago. They were queuing around the block to see them. This is about money because that's what the American owners, that's their bottom line. And uh, for me, I don't think it's about any kind of emotion or, or you know, jealousy or otherwise. I think that from their point of view, they see pound signs and they want them. I think my point is, is that for the English clubs, they can continue to make money with the Premier League. Maybe they see that that, that whole bubble is about to burst and before it does, they want to go on for something new. But I think in part, it's more fueled by the European clubs who know that they maximised all their income in their own territories and need to expand further. And, and if they're going to get more eyeballs in the Premier League... But just, just before Crook comes in, Barcelona are a club heavily in debt. I mean, I'm sure you pick up on this. Not, not, not as much as Real Madrid. Apparently, they've got £900 million pounds well, worth of euros to pay exactly. back. Exactly. So you can see why the appeal of something where they would be able to rake that cash in is so strong strong and that, and that's you know, even for the English clubs you know they've been there and seen it and done it now as far as English football are concerned they want the finances that come with this and they know that for all of the anger around Europe people will watch sorry Crook I think you both make some really pertinent points I don't necessarily share the rage of, of the average Premier League fan who thinks that this is necessarily going to dilute our product because my understanding is that if there is a European Super League it's going to replace the Champions League and and therefore shouldn't necessarily affect matters domestic and listen the Champions League is a great competition from the knockout stages onwards but you've got to say some of those group stage games are, are pretty turgid there's some teams in there who, who are just making up the numbers I'm just going through the list here uh, Ferenc Varos Krasnodar, who Chelsea swatted aside last night, Michelin. They're no contest matches, and that wasn't the idea when the concept of a European Cup was devised. So it's, it's no longer necessarily the cream of Europe. I disagree with you there. I think you get some cracking uh, games in the group stages. And there was a particular group stage a couple of years ago when Tottenham were involved in it with, I think it was Napoli, Tottenham and, and Borussia Dortmund all ended up on 10 points and one went, in, went through on, on, group, on, on goal difference. And regularly, actually, if you look back at the group stages over the last few years, even Liverpool, when they won the Champions League, had to rely on a big save from Alisson in their last group game to get them beyond um, their, their group stage, to get into the knockout stages. And if you think that they'd also been tested last year by someone like Red Bull Salzburg... Yeah, the idea of closing the shop so the little dreams like Red Bull Salzburg, Midtjylland, who only formed in 1999, could come into European football and actually show their worth. The idea of a Porto coming through and winning the European Cup like they did, even a Leipzig getting through to the semi-finals last year. I mean, all these things have happened recently. So the idea that they're just a waste of time, these group stages, I think is, is, is nonsense, actually. I'm not saying all of the groups are a waste of time, but the clubs you mentioned there were all, you know, apart from Salzburg, that that dream team who were bankrolled by a huge uh, energy drink 
manufacturer. I'm not, I'm not sure too many people would necessarily agree with your assessment, assessment that they're a dream club, but Napoli and Liverpool and Dortmund and Tottenham, when they end up in the same group, yeah, it's entertaining. But there are too many whipping boys in the group stage of the Champions League, in my opinion. Um, I, th- I think you're right. The prospect of, of, of teams not being able to play their way into this Super League is probably the big downfall. But as I say, I, I'm open to change. You know, I think the Champions League has worked now for a number of years, but football has to develop and, and maybe this is just a way that's going to move forward. Paul Pogba just racing through now, plays the ball through, looking for Greenwood, could be a chance, Greenwood with a side foot, and there it is! Goal! Mason Greenwood putting Manchester United ahead at Old Trafford. Arsenal right-hand side, El Nani sliding in inside the penalty area, what a moment this is for Aubameyang to walk it into the net for 2-1! And it's the two Arsenal substitutes that combine. Bayerine making the run, the ball slid down the inside right channel and he's tapped it across the edge of the six-yard box, Aubameyang couldn't miss and Arsenal have turned it around with two goals in four minutes. Bruno Fernandes striding clear, oh outstanding finish from Marcus Rashford and Manchester United cutting loose here at St James's Park. Free kick to Arsenal, six inside the penalty area, left footed ball bent in and David Luiz heads it home for 1-1. Martin Keown wistfully uttered the words, oh, I wish we could go back to the old days when discussing this game on TalkSport this week. Uh, screaming in one another's faces, lobbing pizza in the tunnel, both vying for the championship. Oh, it's a bit different now. Uh, you try to get 10 meat feasts delivered in one, to- in one go in this climate. It's impossible. Uh, United have made their worst start to a season at home in 48 years. How do they win a home league game for the first time since July, Crook? Well, I think they need to be a lot more ambitious than they were against Chelsea because we, we've we spoken a lot over the past couple of weeks about Arsenal and, and some bumps in the road now um, under the uh, Mikel Arteta project. They aren't the, the force they were at the back end of last season when they won the FA Cup or Bamiyang certainly isn't the force that he was when he was banging goals for fun. So I think if, if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer plays the right tactics, plays the right system and adopts the right approach. I think this is a game that Manchester United can win. You know, confidence has to be high after five past Leipzig in the Champions League in midweek. They went to Paris and won as well. Didn't follow that up with a particularly good performance. I think he'll shuffle the pack again. And I've got to say, I think he's used the squad quite well over the past fortnight. So I don't think this Arsenal side should hold any fears at all, really. Uh, old problems are returning for Mikel Arteta, Darren, aren't they? They've managed just one away win in five and still searching for that victory on the road against the Big Six team. A drought that stretches back to January 2015. If I'm not mistaken, no goal in five in the league for Aubameyang. Would I be correct in saying that? I know you well, guys are very hot stats. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is a gunner in a jam, isn't he? Um, he's forgotten how to pull the trigger. His expected goal tally is now 0.53. Hipsters will, will understand this. Crook, stay with me. Um, that's not per game, by the way. That's over the last 540 minutes of Premier League football. So in 540 minutes of Premier League football, he's been expected to score half a goal. That's less than one goal in that time. He had one touch in the box against Leicester, one touch in the box against Manchester City. He's had five attempts on goal this season, of which just two have come inside the box. He's scored in three of the last four games against Manchester United. There's not much chance of him repeating it with those statistics, Darren. No, there aren't. I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going to back a trend here and back him to end a run, a very curious run with Arsenal full stop with players who are coming to the end of their contracts or in the last year. Because what we've seen over the last 10, 12 years is that when players are in that final year, either they sign a new deal and they're not as good as they were before with the money weighing them down, look at Mesut Ozil, or they leave. Nasri, Fabregas, Van Persie, Sanchez, Ramsey, etc., etc. But I just think Aubameyang's too good a player uh, for this run to continue. We know he scores goals. We know he wears his heart on his sleeve. We know that he's inspired by the legends like Ian Wright. And I, I think that he is one player who could 
actually buck that particular trend. I have to say this, and I'm going to maybe upset a few people when I do say it, but I think we're such hypocrites. Leipzig at the moment are not quite the same team they were that got that got to the semi-finals last season. Solskjaer inspires Rashford, who you could argue inspires himself, to, to, to score a hat-trick and the team to win 5-0. And suddenly overnight, everyone is saying that Solskjaer is incredible and he's a fantastic manager. The same guy everyone was saying would not have the job if he was the manager of, of if he'd been the manager of Mould but had played for any other club, is suddenly banging on about Solskjaer being the guy. I'm sorry, I can't have it. I'm still not trusting Manchester United. You cannot trust them with Solskjaer in charge. Um, sorry, when you say there are some hypocrites, do you mean that guy, Alex Crook? I don't think I said that Solskjaer is suddenly a fantastic manager overnight. I would still swap him for Maurizio Pochettino or even Ralph Hasenhutl. Yes, I said it again tomorrow, but you have to give credit where credit is due. And I've been reading some quotes from Harry Maguire. Obviously, that Tottenham defeat was chastening. The players, my understanding is, held an inquest amongst themselves and, 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 and tried to work out exactly what had gone wrong in that game. And the form since conceding six at home, only the second time in the Premier League era, has been exceptional. You, you can't argue uh, with that. Very gay. To be fair, I wasn't really necessarily coming at you. I did hear, um, I was listening to Sports Bar on Talk Sport and loads of people were calling up uh, saying similar things about Sosko and Andy and Jason were, were really gushing in their praise for him. But I just can't see that you could go so far the other way given the form that we've seen, given the many areas in which sosko has been deficient, discipline being one of them in this stuff start to the season I'm still not having Solskjaer as listen he may well improve and that's fine and, and he has to be given the leeway to be able to do that but I just don't think you can go so far the other way and I think that this game for Arsenal is still there for the taking I've always been pretty middling I think on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I didn't get uh, very same as me hist- yeah right um, I didn't get hysterical <laughs> when he was losing games and not doing I thought you sh- I think he, he should have been appreciated a lot more for guiding them to third in the Premier League and getting them to three semi-finals, especially in the circumstances. I thought he did very well at the end of last season by bringing in Bruno Fernandes. The recruitment's been okay up until this point after an era in which recruitment was terrible after Ferguson. Um, and uh, again, similarly, I'm not getting too excited because they've kept a couple of clean sheets and they've beaten Leipzig in the, in the Champions League. But he, I just think he's a, a steady... I think he's just a, a, a you know steady Eddie, just keep things ticking over for now. Because and it may well be that he ends up developing into a better coach, or maybe he maybe he doesn't. But ultimately, the idea of repre- replacing him when things were going bad, or saying that he's the the Messiah, both have seen both seem ridiculous to me. You, you've hit the nail on the head, both of you actually, because you, you've effectively said that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is learning on the job, um, and I think that's true. And I also feel that every time you think he's on his knees, he, he manages to turn. The tide and, and credit to him for that, but actually, all that does is paper over the cracks in the short term and means that ultimately United are falling behind everybody else. As soon as that defense comes up against quality, it's going to be banging in trouble. Now, some people will say, Oh, they came up against PSG the other week and and Twenzebe did well, and he did, he did fantastic. But I just look at Manchester United still, and I see a side you cannot trust, and they can pull off a couple of great results, and then they can go to our and, and they can host Arsenal and stink the place out. I would hedge my bets before going too far for the weekend. Okay, all right, okay. So it's Arsenal against Manchester United at Old Trafford. That's on Sunday at five thirty on Saturday. Are Liverpool going to dish out the Hammer House of Horrors? They crosses and Jota heads it in, and Liverpool are into the lead this time. We don't struggle with confidence or whatever. It's just we have to make we have to make sure that we are ready for this game. It's an outstanding goal by Mikel Antonio and West Ham with their first effort take the lead. The confidence in, in the group, you know, the, the character, the team spirit we've got at the moment is uh, is getting his results. In by Henderson, right footed, Mane's header, great save. Firmino taps in the rebound and Liverpool. Roberto Firmino is on the score sheet.
Liverpool a little bit lucky in their game with Midgieland in the week, despite uh, dominating. The Danes had a huge chance to make it 1-1 before that uh, late penalty. Um, but they'll be um, slightly hampered by the fact that uh, Fabinho is out. So the, the injury curse has struck again. Uh, so he came into the heart of the defence. I actually think that him moving into defence was a, a, a good thing because he was very comfortable doing it, although it did leave gaps in midfield. But now with him injured, um, Darren, what, what, what are you going to do next? Well, the word on the street is that perhaps the injury isn't as bad as first feared and that he could even play against West Ham. I'd be surprised, like you, because it didn't look good when he limped off and the signs were not good. But listen, if he plays, they've got a chance. Even if he plays, West Ham have got a chance because um, Michelin still were able to create chances. I was a little bit scathing about Man United. I don't think I could be much less scathing about the Liverpool defence in the in midfield and in the final third. We all know about their quality. Yotta was fantastic the other day. As we know, Minamino played really well and they had a good night at the office. At the back, they are still there for the taking. And I think the only thing that works in their favour is that we don't know if Mikel Antonio will play. I saw him terrorise Man City last weekend. When he went off, you can actually hear the sigh of relief come up from the Man City players because of his ability to hold up the ball, draw other people into the play and score goals. I think as far as Liverpool are concerned, if he doesn't play, they'll win. If he does play, they're in trouble. I think he will play. By all accounts, he is going to be fit, Mikhail Antonio. And that's a, that's a massive boost. I mean, they're never going to have a better chance, are they, West Ham, um, of beating Liverpool when you look at those injury problems. I'd, I'd be surprised if Fabinho plays. I guess the only upside for Liverpool and for this podcast uh, that the injury isn't that serious is that we don't need to do a minute silence like we did for, for Virgil van Dijk. No need for, for Darren Lewis to go into mourning. No, it wasn't mourning. It was a grieving process. Okay, so no, no need for a grieving process this time around. But I think West Ham have got to approach this game believing they can win. And, you know, last season, I think too many teams went up against Liverpool and, and, and lost the game in the tunnel. I don't think it's going to happen this weekend. I think that, that fear factor, uh, because of the injury situation, because of the loss of Van Dijk, because Liverpool's form has been stuttery at the start of this season, I think that fear factor has gone somewhat. Yeah, 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 yeah. They've only won 28 of their last 29 at Anfield and are unbeaten in 62 home games in the Premier League. Yeah, fear factor has disappeared. Well, listen, although West Ham, Crook's right, they do need to believe they can win. To be fair, before this run of fixtures, lots of people had written them off on paper and they defied a lot of the odds and made a lot of people eat their words. But this is Liverpool you're talking about. And it may well turn into a shootout but Liverpool will win if it turns into a shootout because of the players they've got in the final two-thirds of the of the pitch. Do you think they'll have to use Reese Williams? I saw him against Lincoln City. I also saw him in the uh, Carabao Cup game. First 20 minutes or so, he, he had a few wobbles, but after that, he seemed to settle in. I mean, he had the benefit of having Van Dijk alongside him in the game at, at Lincoln. Yeah, we, I think, listen, he, he looked neat and tidy. He looked confident, more to the point. And the, the fact that Liverpool have been able to play the younger players in the cup competitions and have been able to mix and match with some of the senior players means that in situations like this, those players won't be overawed. So there's every chance that he could play. And if he did, you would know that Klopp's got confidence in him. I don't have fears as such about Liverpool. I'm just very curious to see what pans out um, in relation to Fabinho. You know, as you were saying, Alex, that even before Fabinho's injury and even before Van Dyke's injury, Liverpool had conceded 13 goals in five matches. That's I think they, they needed something like 14 or 15 games before they conceded as many goals last season. Uh, so there are still issues in that back line to deal with, regardless of who plays. And if Antonio plays, he'll test them. But I still expect Liverpool to win. Right. Earlier on on Saturday at 12.30, Sheffield United against Manchester City. Can the Blades find their cutting edge? Burge right-footed, scores! Allison goes the wrong way. Burge scores for Sheffield United. We all have to dig in, work a little bit harder, stick together, stick to our beliefs, what has uh, got us to this situation. He finds Foden who turns and scores and it's a brilliant equaliser from Manchester City. Well, we're struggling, we're going to say, so no preparation and uh, a lot of games that we know is, is tough. 
Last season, these games between Manchester City and Sheffield United were very, very tight, weren't they? Um, however, um, this season, Sheffield United have not been the same team. They're still awaiting their first win of the campaign. And I know, Crook, you've been talking to Chris Wilder uh, in the last 24 hours. What has he had to say about the prospect of taking on Manchester City? Do you know what he impressed me, um, Chris Wilder? Because obviously it's been a, a sticky start to the season. It's been a sticky run for Sheffield United um, post-lockdown. But he isn't conducting himself like a man who is concerned by that. He still has confidence in the principles that served him so well last season. And indeed the players um, that performed with great credit in their first season back in the Premier League. He pointed to those games against Manchester City, as you've alluded to there, and, and the fact they were able to compete against a Pep Guardiola side who probably came into those games in better form than they are now. So I think there's a confidence about Chris Wilder. You mentioned in the intro there, they need to start scoring goals. I've actually put together a feature on Rian Brewster um, for game day this weekend. I'll be speaking to his dad, his former coach, teammates, and Chris Wilder himself. And it's it's clear also how highly Jurgen Klopp rates him. So I almost want him to do well because there's been so many Liverpool youngsters. You talk about Jordan Ibe and, and Dominic Solanke and even Harry Wilson who've been touted for great things. It hasn't quite happened. And I'm just hoping that for Sheffield United's sake and for Brewster himself, who seems like a really grounded individual, it will happen for him at Bramwell Lane. And if it does, um, then Sheffield United would have a chance of getting themselves out of danger. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest issues they've had is that they seem to keep conceding goals in the second half of matches. And even though there are injury worries for Pep Guardiola and his team, Darren, the fact is that they probably are able to bring on replacements towards the end of the game when teams are tiring to really test that Sheffield United defence. And if, as we've seen so far this campaign, Sheffield United can't score goals, then that's going to be their undoing again. The, the interesting thing about City is that I, I think they're in a bit of trouble. Afterwards, Pep Guardiola was talking to us and saying that the players haven't had enough time for pre-season. Some have had to self-isolate. Some are still recovering from injury. Aguero won't play. He only managed 45 minutes last weekend. Jesus is still on at the sidelines. Fernandinho is out. They started with six senior players last weekend. Kevin De Bruyne could only manage 22 minutes at the end of the game last weekend. Listen, Sheffield United won't have a better chance in relation to playing Manchester City. That's not to say that by any stretch of the imagination that they're going to win. But I think the poor run that they're on at the moment, they might do something to maybe bring it to an end because this isn't the City side that we know and love. And although they've had good results in the Champions League, they've found it a little bit more difficult. I've got to tell you, if West Ham's decision-making in the final third had been better last weekend, I think they'd have won. And so I wouldn't say with any certainty that they're going to go to Sheffield United, Manchester City and win. Like we've said, though, scoring goals, such a problem for Sheffield United. But who they, scores them? Who's going to score, who's going to no score for Man City? I mean, the, the, uh, I, I think Sorry, who scores for Manchester City? For well, Manchester City. Manchester City, City have got gonna... weapons all over the field. I mean, I saw Ilkay Gundogan strike, strike a free kick from the edge of the penalty area the other week. He scored a brilliant penalty as well. He, I mean, he, he scores goals. Um, Ferran Torres hasn't done too badly since coming in from Valencia in the summer. He scored a lot of goals out in Spain and I'm sure that eventually he'll fit in at Manchester City. Kevin De Bruyne, as you mentioned, only played a few minutes in midweek, but I'm sure he'll be back, back and ready for the, for the Premier League. He scores a few goals. So I, I, I think this is one of those weekends where you look at the team sheets, you look at the news that's coming in and everyone goes, oh, West Ham have got a great chance against Liverpool. Uh, Sheffield United have got a great chance against Manchester City. But at the end of the day, Manchester City and Liverpool will both win. Yeah, but see, Sam, we, we're sometimes guilty of, and, and as we should, we respect these teams. And why do we respect them? Because of the consistency that they've shown us over a long period of time. So I'm not sitting here saying... Sheffield United are going to beat Manchester City. Absolutely not. I'd be crazy to say that. And I'd be crazy not to respect the goal-scoring potential that City do have. What I'm saying is I watched those players play last weekend and they weren't inspiring. And I saw a lot of reaction from City fans saying as a very similar thing. The, the, the Premier League is different to the Champions League. It's high-octane. It's held to skill. You commentate on it every week. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot the, more intense. The Champions League is Absolutely. It's much less cat and mouse than it is in the Champions League. Um, and, and all I'm saying is that for some reason, City weren't the same side that we know and love last weekend. 
And I'll be fascinated more than anything else to see how they get on against Sheffield United. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Welcome back to the show that rarely stops. Surge right footed, scores! Allison goes the wrong way. Burge scores for Sheffield United. He finds Foden who turns and scores. And it's a brilliant equaliser from Manchester City. Mane crosses and Jota heads it in! And Liverpool are into the lead this time. It's an outstanding goal by Mikhail Antonio. And West Ham, with their first effort, take the lead. Here's Grealish in the penalty area. Grealish puts it on his right foot and puts it in the back of the net. Jack Grealish has doubled Aston Villa's lead. It was an instant finish by Ings. And this goal does stand and Southampton lead. The Premier League is back well and truly. And no better place to hear it than on game day on Talk Sport. Right, it's time for Roulette Rivalry. Lucy, our esteemed producer, is here to navigate our way through these three fixtures that we haven't touched on yet in Roulette Rivalry. Uh, Lucy will hand out a game each and we'll preview it off the top of our heads. Lucy, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, sir. Lucy, I understand that you're moving house at the moment. Yeah, and I know where you're going with this because I told you something, didn't I, before the others arrived? (laughs) Are you? Are you? Where are you right now? Are you still under the bed, or have you managed to get yourself out of that? <laughs> Basically, what happened was I was packing well late into the night last night, and I cleared out all under my bed. And there was a stray coat hanger, and I went to go and retrieve it, and it was just out of my reach. So I forced myself in, and for a good, I'd say, thirty seconds, my life flashed before my eyes. Did you think you were trapped? <laughs> How did you extricate yourself from from under the bed? So. I've watched a lot of Bear Grylls documentaries and also a few documentaries on cave diving. Oh, good. I exhaled all the oxygen out of my lungs, so I was small enough to scoot straight back out of the bed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. Love that. Can you have you got a similar story? No, I'm too big to get stuck anyway. No, do you know what? Actually, I have a phobia of birds, right? Genuinely, I hate birds. All little beaks, little, little feet. And I think it comes down to the fact no, that when I was a kid, this is true, there's a place called Burbwell just up the A3, not far from where I live. And I got stuck in a turnstile. And, you know, for a good couple of minutes, I couldn't get out of this turnstile. And I think that's where my phobia of birds comes from. Were you in a bit of a flap? <laughs> okay. Um, shall we move on to uh, the roulette rivalry? Uh, the three games this week, Wolves Palace, Newcastle Everton and Burnley versus Chelsea, all of which will, I'm sure, get you all inhaling a lot of oxygen. Uh, So, uh, could you dish out the games, please? Right, are there any preferences who wants to go first? I don't mind going last. Right, Darren, I'm going to give you Burnley v Chelsea. And your time starts now. Well, the most fascinating aspect of this is that Burnley are about to be taken over, it would appear. And if that's the case, then there will be more resources available to Sean Dice, who's done a super job there so far. And he'll be able to get in even more quality to frustrate the likes of Chelsea. I wonder if the players will be inspired by that talk as well to put up a barrier to shut out the likes of Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, who had a really good start to their careers at Stamford Bridge. In goal, I've said already with Mendy and Silva, 
the Chelsea are near impenetrable at the back uh, but at the same time Burnley could frustrate them up front and maybe even get away with a point at Turf Moor I think they'd be good for it too I wouldn't necessarily suggest that Chelsea are oh. bankers in this one. that's a, another big prediction so You've gone with Sheffield United to beat Manchester City, West Ham to beat Liverpool, and now Burnley to get saying against. Chelsea. I didn't say. Whoa, 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 whoa! I didn't say Sheffield United what would treble, beat Manchester what a treble, City. What a I that treble comes Sheffield in. Darren United. won't be here this time next yeah. week. I did Darren. not say Sheffield United would beat Manchester City. I said <laughs> they get something out of the game, and I said West Ham could get something out of the game if Fabinho plays. And I'll just say two more things. Okay. Aston Villa seven, Liverpool two. Manchester United one, Spurs six. Okay. It's that kind of crazy season. Okay, okay, all right. Okay, you've had your time. Let somebody else speak now. Go on, <laughs> <laughs> dish it out. What's next? Right, you can go second. I thought you said he wanted, to go, said last. wanted to go last. Yeah, yeah no, because you. he said he wanted to go last. He doesn't control this section. I do. She loves a little bit of power, doesn't she? she does yeah. Get back, get under, back the under the bed. The bed. <laughs> I'm going to give you Wolves v Crystal Palace. And your time starts now. AKA the game that nobody really wants to watch. Um, I've been a bit underwhelmed by Wolves' um, recent performances. I think they need to find a plan B that doesn't involve Raul Jimenez scoring the majority of their goals. Obviously, they're going through a transitional phase, having let Jota and Doherty go. But I do think they're lacking a little bit of an attacking spark. So Nuno Espirito Santo will have been working hard on that in the training ground. And speaking of teams who lack an attacking spark, there's nobody that that comment applies to more um, than Crystal Palace. So again, I think this will be a relatively low-scoring game. Um, I would expect Palace to try and keep it tight defensively, have very little possession and try and hit Wolves on the counter-attack. But given Wolves' lack of goals at the moment, it wouldn't surprise me if they got something. There's a lot of binary action with uh, Wolves and Crystal Palace, isn't there? Loads of ones and zeros everywhere. Yes. Uh, What have I got, Luce? Well, I think you know what you've got. You've got Newcastle v Everton. Oh, the big one. And time starts now. Uh, Newcastle um, are unbelievably in the sort of relative area of safety, despite the fact that they've played not very well and haven't had too many good opportunities on goal. Um, They beat Burnley, well done to them. But apart from that, they were thrashed by Manchester United. They were lucky to get a point against uh, Tottenham Hotspur. They were lucky to get a point against Wolverhampton Wanderers as well, courtesy of a mishap by the goalkeeper in the last few minutes last weekend. So they've probably got more points than they would expect to have at this stage of the season. Everton suffered a bump in the road against Southampton last week, and I think they'll come out all guns blazing trying to rectify that because they weren't great at all. They lacked energy. Saints got the better of them. I don't think Newcastle is tactically disciplined. Oh. I, I, I was going to say something nice about Ralph Harlson, who their crook, but she stopped me halfway through. So I'm sorry about that. Okay, uh, we've done Wolves, Crystal Palace, Newcastle, Everton, Burnley and Chelsea, which means there's only Aston Villa, Southampton, Spurs, Brighton to come. Here's Grealish in the penalty area. Grealish puts it on his right foot and puts it in the back of the net. Jack Grealish has doubled Aston Villa's lead. If you're off it for, for any stage in this, in this league with the quality of the teams that are are in there, you can get a bloody nose very quickly. It was an instant finish by Ings, and this goal does stand, and Southampton lead. The biggest mistakes you make when you're successful, you know, so keep on focused and keep on working hard. Yes, Sunday is going to be a big day. Aston Villa against uh, Southampton, Spurs against Brighton. Should we start with Aston Villa against Southampton? Because I was about to say something nice about uh, Ralph House and Hutton and just how well tactically they've done against uh, Everton. And, and Aston Villa themselves, you know, last week lost against Leeds United, Crook, but actually they had chances in that game as well before Patrick Bamford ran right towards the end of the match. Yeah, it wasn't a disastrous performance by any stretch of the imagination, but I'd apply similar comments to Aston Villa um, to what you've said about Everton. The, the mark of a, a semi-decent team is how you respond to adversity, how you bounce back from defeat. And it was a heavy defeat in the end. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see what kind of reaction Dean Smith gets from his players. And that will uh, tell us just how far they've come after their struggles last season or or whether their bright start to the campaign was a false dawn. Southampton couldn't be in, in better form. It was a tactical masterclass from King Routh against Everton last weekend. 
I'm enjoying Danny Ings dropping deeper into midfield. Harry Kane style. There's a partnership developing between him and Shea Adams as well. So I think this is going to be a really good game. Away wins have been prevalent in the Premier League this season. Maybe we might just see another. Have you ever been to a tactical masterclass? Just out of interest. <laughs> are, you, are you saying it wasn't a tactical masterclass to negate the threat of James Rodriguez and, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin? I thought they did well. I mean, tactical masterclass is probably a little bit of an overstatement, really, isn't it? I mean, you know, they done they done well. But uh, we, whenever run, anybody sort of out coaches somebody else, it's always like a tactical masterclass. He's a bit, he's a bit grumpy today, isn't he, Crook? He, he does, for some reason, and I think it's because he gets on okay with Mark Hughes. He's a bit reluctant to give Ralph Arsenault too much credit. Oh, <laughs> that's not true. I like Ralph Rabbit Hutch. I mean, I don't. I'm not like you. I don't fawn all over him. I'm just trying to bring balance to the force because literally, you think he's the best thing since sliced bread. Even though when you fir- he first got appointed, you had to Google him because you had never heard of him. I'm just trying to sort of balance things out. Um, I thought they were that they were good against. Uh, um, Everton but remember that you said they got a, a, a good draw against Chelsea prior to that but yeah they were handed that weren't they they did do well against West Brom and Burnley prior to that with two good victories but this is a different level of opponent now Aston Villa they've had a successful uh, start to the season I think it'll be interesting to see uh, one of the things I worry a little bit about Southampton still is that defence Darren they have conceded eight goals in their last eight away games yeah and I was at Chelsea when uh, Chelsea went three nil up and would have won but for um, the problems they've got in their own defence but as far as the Southampton they can uh, defence is concerned if you've got a bit of pace, you can outmaneuver them. And I think Aston Villa might well give them a problem in that regard. They're well enough organised. And in the, again, you know, Danny Ings and the supporting cast will give opposing teams a bit of trouble. But the likes of Yannick Vestigard uh, in defence, just a little bit too slow for me. So this will be a really fascinating match. I think Vestigard's played well, um, in fairness. He was brought into the team against Burnley mainly because... He's as big as a skyscraper, but he's kept his place. He kept Dominic Calvert-Lewin quiet. I think um, he is someone that they have spent a lot of time in training, um, trying to improve as a defender because he hasn't been a great signing by any stretch of the imagination. But Leicester showed a bit of interest in him in January. So clearly Brendan Rodgers believes there's a player there. And I think he's got that spot now alongside Jan Bednarek. He's elbow Jack Stevens out of the starting 11. He was pretty much mainstay um, under Ralph Hasen, who's laughed that 9-0 defeat against Leicester. So again, you have to give give big credit where it's due. Well, just just for a very brief, you know, Timo Werner rolled Vestergaard for his first goal, basically outpaced him and was able to check back and, and basically put the ball in the other uh, bottom corner. And for Chelsea's second goal, there was a ball over the top and uh, Werner lifted it over Bednarek, over the keeper and headed it in. And neither player were alert enough or quick enough to be able to spot the danger and stop it. Maybe they did spot it. Maybe they ju- were just too slow to stop it. I'm not saying either are bad players. Harry Maguire is an £85 million defender, but if you've got a bit of pace, you can get away from him. And that's the problem I think both those players have. They're good players, but a bit of pace undoes them. I can't work out whether this actually happened or I had a weird dream. Um, but um, in the back of my, the recesses, the dark corners of my mind, I've had this thought about Yannick Vestergaard. Did he play up front in a, at the end of a game recently? And I can't work out what's more worrying, whether it actually <laughs> happened or that I dreamt it, both of which are disturbing. Anyway, uh, Spurs against Brighton. Um, big game for uh, for Brighton because they keep playing reasonably well, not winning. Actually, on Monday night they yeah. played away against West Bromwich Albion. They created the bulk of the opportunity played at home against West Bromwich Albion. Sorry, um, the bulk of the opportunities in the first half, tired in the second half, uh, but didn't take any of those opportunities that were presented to them until they got a helping hand from a rather calamitous set of circumstances involving Jake Livermore and Branislav Ivanovic. I think we had a conversation on the podcast last week about them not taking those chances. How, how do they solve it? Well, it's a tricky one because it's been the, the, the hallmark since Graham Potter came in. They played well most weeks, but they're not picking up the points 
performances suggest. So there's, there's two schools of thought, really. One is that as long as you keep playing well, eventually you'll get your rewards. And that they did actually, post-lockdown, picked up some important points to keep their head above the, the relegation line. But the other school of thought is that if you keep playing well and not winning, that's a dangerous habit to get into. I think they need to find a way to keep Adam Lallana on the pitch for a bit longer. The games against West Bromwich Albion certainly turned um, when he went off, I think, Lamptey down the right-hand side has been one of the finds of the season. But like Wolverhampton Wanderers, they're too reliant on Neil Mopé to score the bulk of their goals. They don't get enough goals from midfield. And I fear for them this weekend. I can't really make any great case. I know they beat Spurs at the Amex Stadium last season when Spurs were a really low ebb under Maurizio Pochettino. But I can't see past a Tottenham victory in this one. Yeah, listen, I would I would 100% agree. Tottenham are in a fantastic moment right now. Hard-fought win the other night at Burnley. But that's a measure of the progress that they've made because last season Spurs probably would have drawn or even lost that game. I think that the fact that Kane and Son are now one of the most prolific partnerships in Premier League history uh, says a lot for the direction that they're heading in because Gareth Bale is trying to get his fitness back, but everyone isn't spending their time waiting for Bale. He'll go into a side that are currently flying at the moment and defensively, that's key. They are improving as well, obviously, after that West Ham nightmare where West Ham came back from three goals down. I can't see Spurs losing this. Spurs uh, have been pretty prolific in the games between the two. I think Brighton have won just one of the last eight meetings between these uh, two sides. You've got Harry Kane at the focal point of that attack. You've got Gareth Bale still to come in and do a job for them as well. We've hardly seen anything of him yet. I mean, that is a talking point, actually, isn't it? The fact that we we haven't really seen that much of Gareth Bale in the Premier League since he returned uh, to to England. Is that, is that a fitness thing? Is that is that uh, because the others are playing so well? Um, is there a slight concern that actually maybe Zinedine Zidane had a point and that he, he wasn't up to scratch in terms of team ethic and, and Jose Mourinho has found that out or, or are we overreacting and just, you know, we should wait and be patient and we'll see the best of him? I think it's probably a combination of, of all three of those. Um, first and foremost, clearly somebody who hasn't played a lot of football over the past couple of years. You've mentioned already the difference uh, that the Premier League brings compared to the other European leagues. So he needs a bit of time to bed in, but actually don't need him at the moment. As Darren's already said, um, what the arrival of Gareth Bauer has done is is provided a lightning rod for the likes of Son um, to take his game to a new level. That partnership between Harry Kane smacks of a couple of players who don't want to be separated. They don't want to be disrupted. They're quite happy playing together and Gareth Bale is going to have to wait his turn. I think it's too early to make a judgment on whether Zidane was right. After all, there's a, a lot of football to be played between now and May and I think uh, Jose Mourinho is just bedding Bale in slowly. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think as far as Bale is concerned, you can't judge him this early on whether he's good enough or not. But what does help Spurs is that they're winning without him. And he is inspiring the players in that front six, even Vinicius as well. When Vinicius played in the Europa League the other day, he looked good, trust me. And I think Harry Kane will be thinking to himself, if I'm not playing, this guy could come in and nail down. We know it's Harry Kane. He's still golden boot winner, World Cup golden boot winner. He'd be crazy to drop him. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with somebody like Vinicius coming in saying, I'm not too bad myself. So Spurs have got some fantastic options. I think the fact that Garibald hasn't really played that much is not a bad thing that at all because he's taking his time finding his feet and when he is fit and ready to go he will be some option in the second half of the season okay before we go let's have a quick word on the EFL because Crook I know that you've been across sort of like what's been happening with their finances etc etc Rick Parry's statement this week having a go at Oliver Dowden the, the, the Minister for Sports suggesting that he was more interested in saving the Royal Ballet than he was with saving clubs uh, in the EFL how 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 critical is this and how how much help are they expecting to eventually get from the government? Is this just posturing from, from Rick Parry or is there a serious crisis that needs immediate action? No, there is a serious crisis that, that needs immediate action. I'm surprised as we sit here on the, the 29th of October that already we're not seeing clubs go into administration and, and suffer serious financial problems. I was speaking to uh, an EFL chief executive only yesterday and he was telling me there are up to a dozen clubs who could well be forced to go down that route by the end of November. That's four weeks away and there's no imminent sign of any kind of rescue package um, from the government. And I think Rick Parry is dead right. There's been a snobbery um, from the 
people in power uh, when it comes to, to football in general and particularly the EFL. They're, they're keen to get people back, as you say, into the, the Royal Ballet and the, and the Royal Albert Hall and, and other uh, such venues. But <laughs> clubs outside the Premier League and the, obviously a separate entity, but certainly the, the clubs in the EFL have been left to fend for themselves. I think it's an absolute disgrace. Um, they've not been given a greater level of support. I, I don't think the government have taken into account at all uh, what football clubs mean to their communities, what football clubs mean for the, the mental well-being of a large swathe of the population. And you look at the people who historically have, have based their week around going to watch their team on a Saturday afternoon. The fact they can't do that anymore They've just been left to fend for themselves. It's absolutely appalling. And I think it's inevitable that we are going to lose clubs. And, and that is not a situation that, that we should be facing. So many good points you make, Krug. But I think Rick Parry's the wrong man to make them. Football does have the money. And we just know that the condition for getting that money is giving absolute power to a small number of clubs in the top division. And quite clearly, that's going to be bad for the future of the game. The football clubs in the championship in Leagues 1 and 2 shouldn't be held hostage in that way. But they are being. Uh, Rick Parry was involved in creating that situation. It's kind of misdirection that he would suddenly paint himself as the white knight when he was involved in a decision-making process and a series of conversations that would have been particularly damaging for the long-term health of the English game. And I think we need to remember that. Rick Parry is making, you're making good points about where we are. But let's not, (laughs) government have a lot of thoughts, as we all know, but one of them is not, not helping football when football, is in a position to help itself. We've just come from a transfer window where over a billion pounds has been spent by football clubs in a kind of sporting arms race. So nobody is telling me that the money isn't in the game to help the clubs who are in the kind of position that you've just outlined. And yes, the government should be providing help, but football should be helping itself. Uh, We will be back uh, when you wake up on Monday morning with a review of all the games in the post-match pod. We'll look ahead to the two games on Monday nights. Fulham taking West Brom. Uh, Poor West Brom. They're always in that little slot on 5.30 on a Monday afternoon, aren't they? Uh, And Leeds face Leicester City. Thanks to Darren Lewis. Thank you. It's all right. Nice white um, roll neck, by the way. This is called my Nagelsman. Is it? Is it? No, it's not that bad. Crikey. <laughs> I mean, that's the worst outfit I've seen on a human being since I went out for Crook for a night out back in March. <laughs> and thanks to Alex Crook as well. Enjoyed it as always. Please subscribe and rate on your pod provider. We'll be back when you wake up on Monday morning. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.